So, just turning exactly 7.46, we can get to our oil interview, as promised. Is the price of this crude problem set to change again? Are we, in fact, going to see a big rebound? For the past three years, the cost of crude's been consistently low due to a sluggish global economy and oversupply. While producers have struggled to limit production, the Venezuela crisis could soon change the picture considerably. Let's bring in Gary Schilling, president of Gary Schilling and Company. Great to have you on the line with us. Thank you. Glad to be with you. I um, was looking at some other analysts' opinions. RBC Capital Markets' Helena Croft said what actually could save OPEC is probably going to be Venezuela. How plausible is it that the... <laughs> <laughs> okay. So does your laughter suggest that you're not so optimistic about that? Well, I, no, it's, it's really ironic because Venezuela is really a, a, a basket case. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a very weird country. Uh, it's a, it ranks almost with North, with North Korea <laughs> in terms of the management of the place. But, but, uh, but the no, argument I mean, here is Venezuela. that actually defaulting of, of, for example, Venezuela's state-run PDVSA could drive up global oil prices. Well, if they, if they stop production. But bear in mind that, uh, as we saw, when oil prices uh, collapsed uh, what, almost two years ago, that a lot of companies who went bankrupt, they simply shed their debt and they increased their production because their costs have declined because they have no debt of uh, cost of servicing their debt. And I think the same thing could be true of, of Venezuela, the state-owned oil company uh, defaults on their bonds. I don't know that that's going to change their production. They may even try to increase it to uh, in order to uh, raise money. We're seeing more sanctions all the time being placed against Venezuela by the United States, targeting, obviously, this uh, Nicolas Maduro administration which seems to be still clinging on. Do you think those sanctions will have an effect on the petroleum industry specifically? Uh, uh, it, it probably not a great deal. I mean, it's it's a it's it's deteriorating into a subsistence economy. Uh, oil is the only thing they have to pay for imports. Uh, they have a very lively black market with Colombia. The the border towns with uh, Colombia. Uh, very active in terms of smuggling, and uh, it, it's a. But but I think it's gotten to the point that that uh, sanctions are are pretty difficult because of the place is such a, a chaotic situation. Well, Libya's largest oil field resumed on Monday after disruption as a result of armed protests there, um, and Libya is a country that's had many of its own problems. Will that have a lasting impact on oil prices? Well, all of these countries, you know, I mean, they're, they are very chaotic. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, whether it's Venezuela, whether it's, whether it's Libya, uh, whether it's Iran, Iraq, uh, you name it. Uh, and, and even Saudi Arabia, uh, they use oil money to buy off the populace, and, and that's becoming increasingly difficult. So all of these countries are, are very volatile and, and, and uh, relatively unstable. Uh, you can you can pick any one of them that could that could uh, collapse uh, tomorrow. And as we saw with Libya, you have a civil war and and oil production uh, declines. The same the same we saw with with Iraq, and of course with Iran, you had the sanctions earlier. So it's a uh, it's a pretty it's, it's a pretty chaotic situation. But I think the point is that 
OPEC, assuming you don't have some major major uh, country that, that simply ceases production, uh, and that always can happen, uh, OPEC, you know, they were trying to, uh, in November 2014, they did not want to cut production because they got tired of being the swing producer. Uh, they, they basically cut production, and all the increase in global demand went to non-OPEC countries, American frackers, Canadian oil sands, Russia, and they basically said, hey, enough is enough. So they decided they were going to flood the market. They went from 30 million barrels a day to 34 million barrels a day, and they wanted to force somebody out. It was what we would call a glorified game of chicken. Well, it turns out they're the victim of their own game because they're the ones who've been forced to cut production, and uh, they have not eliminated the excess inventories. And, and, of course, the longer this goes, the more difficult it is to maintain the discipline um, of this of these uh, uh, cutbacks in OPEC and and other countries, including Russia, and and they all are they all are exceeding their out their output according to independent analysis. So, in in the bigger picture, how important was this meeting of oil producers in Abu Dhabi this week? Uh, well, I, I you know they they obviously are worried. They obviously are trying to instill discipline, whether they're successful or not you know, remains to be seen. But all I can say is that when you have a situation like this, the longer it goes without their successfully eliminating the excess inventories, and, you know, U.S. production is is, uh, is scheduled to go up next year, not down to exceed 9 million barrels a day. And the longer this, this continues, I think the more difficult it is for them to maintain this discipline. Obviously, they're trying very hard, but I think that's going to be extremely difficult. What's your personal forecast for oil prices? Um, we're seeing that oil futures finished higher Wednesday after American data showed a, a sharp decline in, in that crude inventory. Um, uh, and obviously, we've got so many areas of well, uncertainty. Well, I'm on record going. I'm on record going back over a year ago to saying that we could see ten to twenty dollars a barrel for crude oil. Now, the rationale for that is that that is the marginal cost. In other words, once the wells are drilled and the overhead costs are met, the pipelines are laid, what does it cost to get the, get the oil out of the ground and to market? And in, the, uh, in Texas, in the Permian Basin, it's 10 to $20 a barrel. In the, in the Middle East, it's even less than that. And that's the price. When you get into a, a price war, that's where you end up. The analogy I have, and I, I don't know if this would work in Korea, but in the U.S., if you have a busy intersection, I heard your traffic report here. You got traffic mm. jams just the way we do. Mm. But if you have a busy intersection, you have uh, gasoline stations, petrol stations on all four corners, and somebody, just, uh, one of the stations, decides that they're going to cut prices in order to gain market share because, after all, gasoline is gasoline; doesn't make much difference. Uh, then the others follow because you can simply drive across the street to fill up your tank and. So the prices uh, chase each other down, and where do they stop? They don't stop at the average cost of running the station with the labor and the overhead and rent and so on. They don't stop until they get to the marginal cost, the cost of getting it off the tank truck plus the uh, excise taxes. Uh, so that's that's the analogy, and that's what happens when you get into a price war. It's the marginal cost that is the ultimate bottom. So rather than talking about driving the prices up to 70 or $80 a barrel from the current position of 
$49.56. You're, you're suggesting we could see things still going very much in yeah, that. I, I, just don't see, I just don't see what is going to uh, reduce prices. I mean, I mean uh, uh, U.S. production is increasing. Um, if you just straight line this, OPEC would have to cut even more to accommodate that increase in production going into 2018. And I think they probably just about reached the limits of what they're willing to cut, uh, and they can uh, to maintain discipline within the cartel and the and the uh, other countries that have joined them in this effort to to uh, reduce production and get rid of excess inventories. Uh, for anyone listening now who, who may have a vague concern about this, but not um, feeling they're directly affected, how do we all feel the pinch one way or another, or the benefit of uh, shifting oil prices? Well, yeah, that, that, that's a very interesting point because, uh, you know, we do a, a, a monthly newsletter. It's called Insight. And we did an article two months ago looking at oil prices in relation to U.S. stocks. Now, you would think that when oil prices decline, that it would be favorable for stocks because, after all, the U.S. is still a net importer. And that's true of, of uh, you know, Western Europe, of China, of Japan, Korea, uh, many countries. So you would think that lower prices would be beneficial. But it turns out it's quite the opposite, that stocks rally when prices go up and they tend to decline when prices go down. So you say, why is that? Uh, Why do you get the opposite effect of what would seem to be logical? I think the reason is because there's so many thinly capitalized oil producers. I'm not talking about the majors like, like, uh, like Exxon and Shell. Uh, and Chevron. I'm talking about this, the smaller producers, and they're so thinly capitalized that when the price goes down, they have a high risk of bankruptcy. So you get you you actually get in terms of stocks, you get the opposite effect mm. of what of what you do with the economy in terms of lower oil prices and reverses higher prices. And that's before we even talk about the impact of uh, of all this on on us filling up our cars with fuel. But we're out of time now, Mr. Schilling. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure indeed. Renowned American financial analyst there, Gary Schilling, on the line with us today. You can still have your say on this or any of our topics this morning. Pound a sharp 1013 for 51 per message. Uh, We'll continue shortly with China's great firewall.